All right. Hello, Chase Oaks, and welcome once again. And we're going to start our new series here in a little bit. But I first want to say, I know you've heard Happy Valentine's a few times, but hey, this is a big weekend. I think we should celebrate everything bigger in 2021 because 2020 was 2020. So I hope you have a great weekend. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to talk about romance today. Let me also say Happy New Year. Uh, This is Lunar New Year where much, much of the world, uh, many of you celebrate New Year as this weekend, uh, as the new year. So if, if the first part of the other new year wasn't what you wanted, you get to start over. So that's good. This is a happy new year uh, to everybody. Now, today we are starting a new series called When Life Gives You Lemons, uh, talking about years really like 2020, right, where uh, a lot of things come at you that you wish didn't come at you, and how do you respond? And I thought it was really cool this past week at the Super Bowl that Bud Light Seltzer decided to introduce the theme of this series. If you saw that commercial, if you saw the Super Bowl, uh, When Life Gives You Lemons, as lemons were pelting everybody. And I thought about here at our campuses, uh, for those who were live, just pelting people with lemons, but that just didn't seem very nice. And I love Chase Oakers. I could do that to another church and feel okay. Not really, but uh, I'm not going to pelt anybody with lemons, but sometimes it does feel like that's what's happening in life, right? That all these things are coming at you. And in this series, when life gives us lemons, we're going to complete the phrase, which we all know what that is, right? When life gives us lemons, make lemonade. As we look at this Old Testament book of Ruth, uh, where we see a, a young adult woman that life definitely gives her lemons, but we see her and others make lemonade to really learn how to do the same thing. And, and because a, a big part of the story of the book of Ruth is a romance story between Ruth and this person named Boaz, uh, who end up meeting and getting married and all that, uh, It is also a romantic story. This is Valentine's weekend, comes at a perfect time to celebrate Valentine's and get a little bit romantic. And I thought it would be nice to give everybody, every lady here or guys, if you like flowers, we're going to give you a dozen roses virtually. So I hope you enjoy them. Um, You have to imagine it a little bit, the smell. But if nobody's giving you roses or flowers Chase Oaks is. And uh, so here's your virtual flowers. And guys, if you forgot, then you can just go ahead and count this. I'm sure the ladies in your life will be fine to say, well, Chase Oaks gave you flowers. I didn't want a double duty. So there you go. Uh, there's your flowers. Um, as we uh, as again, as we talk about romance and Ruth, because because God wants all of life to be great, including this area of life. He made us to be romantic people. Um, uh, to enjoy that part of our life, romance and sexuality. There's even a whole book in the Bible, like Song of Solomon, that talks just about that. It's a big part of the book of Ruth as well. And so today we're going to talk about making romantic lemonade. Uh, we're going to see how, um, how God um, created this part of life to be good. And we're going to see from this romantic story um, two big principles or two big ways to make this part of life great, whether you are single and uh, not in a relationship or single in a relationship or you're married, which means you're in a relationship, uh, wherever you're at, uh, there's going to be something for us today uh, as we introduce ourselves to Ruth and this story. So 
Let's go ahead and jump into it a little bit to understand what the story is about. So it does center around the main character, uh, this uh, lady, Ruth, who lived about 60 years before King David uh, in the Old Testament era, the people of God, Israelites. She was actually from another country. She was from Moab, uh, which is next to Israel. And she had married into an Israelite family who had come over from Israel into Moab. Uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her husband, Elimelech, and the two sons, one of which she married one of those sons. So they come over from Bethlehem. That may be familiar because that's where Jesus was born. And so Naomi and Elimelech come over with their two sons. Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow. Ruth marries one of the sons, um, uh, one of Naomi's sons. So Naomi, mother-in-law, you getting this? And uh, her husband, Ruth's husband, we don't know how, but pretty early into the marriage, evidently, uh, he dies as well. So now both Ruth and Naomi, her mother-in-law, are widows in a culture that was extremely difficult to be a widow. Because in the ancient Near Eastern cultures like Moab and Israel, uh, they didn't own land. Widows didn't own. If you weren't connected to a guy as a girl, you were in trouble. Finance, you were just out on the street. Um, except in Israel, there was a provision and that provision was called a guardian redeemer who would step up for you and that would make your life way better and way different. Now we'll talk about the guardian redeemer. Just remember this. We'll talk about what it means later. So just like kid in your mind. So Ruth and Mo, Ruth and Naomi in Moab, um, for Ruth, as a widow there, she's got her family. She's a young woman. It'd be easy just to go right back to her family and she would be fine. But Naomi, as an older widow, was not fine. She would just be destitute out on the street. She decides to go to Israel, go back home and see what could happen. Ruth decides to go with her out of loyalty. We're going to look at more, more of that part of the story later in a later week. But it would have been a lot better for Ruth at least on the surface, just to go back home. But she can't do that to Naomi. She chooses not to do that to Naomi. She wants to make sure she's going to be okay. And she's been introduced to the God of Israel. And so she goes back to God's people with Naomi. And there she meets this guy named Boaz, who is also a single guy, a middle-aged single guy. And that culture don't know why he was single, but he was single. And they kind of, you know, so Ruth as a widow needs to be rescued. Boaz as a middle-aged single guy also kind of needs to be rescued. They meet each other and they fall in love and rescue each other. Does that not sound like a Hallmark movie? Um, if I guess one thing that 2020 did to me, I saw three Hallmark movies this Christmas. And they were different actors, but the exact same movie, I'm convinced. But... I uh, actually enjoyed them. I have to admit it. Um, I enjoyed two of them. And uh, as Christy and I watch those, but it kind of plays like that. And so we're going to see these uh, romantic, we're going to see these romantic principles, two of them come out of this story as Ruth and Naomi go into Israel, go into Bethlehem. Another provision that God made for not just widows, but everybody who was poor is that at time of harvest, they could harvest part of the fields. And they, so they come in into Bethlehem when it's barley harvest. And God made a provision that if you didn't own land, that for all the landowners, the corners of the fields were to be left open for the poor to be able to go in and harvest grain. And 
The second way they did that is the harvesters would go on a would would harvest, but the poor could follow behind them on that first run and get whatever was left over. So Ruth decides she picks a field there in Bethlehem. Turns out to be a really good choice because it's owned by Boaz, who is also a relative of her father-in-law. That's going to become important. And she starts to harvest in the fields. And Boaz comes to check up on this field as a business guy. And here's what we read. Ruth 2.4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? He sees Ruth. It's kind of love at first sight. He obviously likes what he sees. And you notice in that culture, who does that young woman belong to? Because in that culture, everybody belonged to somebody, but he had never seen her before. And so he's like, who is this and who does she belong to? Like, what's her relationship status? Look her up on Facebook. Is she single or what's going on? And and the harvesters tell her. That's Ruth. You've heard about her. It's a small town. Everybody knew everything about everybody. This you remember how, you know, you've heard how Naomi came back after being gone to Moab and and now Ruth, who was a widow, uh, came and she could have stayed there. But she did this incredible thing and and how she's taking care of Naomi and she stayed loyal to Naomi. And it's and he's like, oh, yeah, I have heard of her, which just makes him all the more interested in her. And so he approaches her. Now, we don't know in the story how he starts the conversation. Maybe it was like Joey on Friends, you know, kind of, how you doing? Am I doing that right? How you doing? Anyway, we don't know. Bible doesn't say. But we do know the next part of the conversation. He says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. He's saying, hey, look, you're here. This is a good place for you to be. I don't want you to feel like you have to go anywhere else because we're going to take care of you. In fact, I want you to you don't have to like hang out in the back, like slink around like, you know, like you're a poor person in the corner and all that. You just glean right with our other harvesters right alongside them at the front of the line. You just take all you want. And instead of giving what you gather to me, you take it with you. So that you can care for you and your mother-in-law, meaning they could not only eat with that grain, but also sell that grain and have that income. And Ruth is like, well, that's awesome. But why would you do that for me? And he answers her. I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, I want you to remember that little phrase for later, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Can you do that? Remember that? You got to remember two things now, right? Guardian, redeemer, under whose wings you've come to take refuge, because that's going to come back around in what I think is kind of a cool way. But from here, we get our first big romantic principle. Now, before I share it. Um, my wife is here uh, in, in this service right now as I speak, and I'm sure she is nervous right now as I called her out. And she's probably nervous anyway. Whenever I talk about romance or sex or anything like that, she's like, oh, my goodness, do I need to, should I not? She, she told me that. Should I come tonight or should I not? And or should I come today? And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. Um, 
And she's probably wondering even why I'm the one doing the romance sermon, because I have not always been the romantic genius I am today. Uh, and in fact, early in our marriage, uh, when I wanted to turn things romantic, I had this sort of alter ego, uh, just to play around, uh, named Jacques Romantique. Right now, she's thinking, Jeff, don't, don't do that. Don't say that. But Jacques Romantique, and I would, I would act French, and I would say, my name is Jacques Romantique, and I know women, and I'm in the mood for love. <laughs> it took me about five years to realize I was counterproductive. I mean, it was cute for maybe one time, and then it got really old, and I just kept going with it. And she was really gracious about it. So this is not romantic advice from me. This is romantic advice out of God's word, uh, out of this story. Because what you see happening right here is, okay, yeah, he saw her at first sight. But what really got him interested is when he realized who she was and her story and her character. Because he knew, hey, this is the one that did something extraordinary. And that's the kind of person, if I'm going to marry somebody, that's the kind of person I would want to marry. And so he approaches her, which gets me to my first romantic principle here. Is become the person you're looking for is looking for. I love the phrase. I think I got it from a sermon from a guy named Andy Stanley a long time ago in a church in Atlanta that we uh, are kind of uh, sister churches partner with in some ways. But become the person who become the person you are looking for is looking for. I mean, this is for single people um, who are looking for somebody because it's, it's really frustrating. It's really hard to find the right person. And so it, it's easy to fixate on trying to find the right person. And then you're like, and a lot of people talk to me, he's like, Jeff, it's really hard to find the right person. Like, I don't, I don't know where to find him. I mean, you can't go to a bar and find the right person usually unless you just get lucky. But, you know, even church is kind of hard, especially in a pandemic. And, all, and how do you find the right person? And it, 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 it's hard, right? And so you're like, man, how do I do this? And it's easy to get really, really fixated on, on, on trying to find the right person. But another thing to fixate on that's even healthier is not finding the right person, but becoming the right kind of person. Because if you become the right kind of person, you're much more likely to attract the right kind of person. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're not the right kind of person, then the right kind of person who is looking for the right kind of person is not looking for you. They're not praying for you. In fact, they're praying that God will keep them away from you. They don't want you because they're the right kind of person. And so the best way to attract the right kind of person is to become the right kind of person. It took a person like Ruth to attract a person like Boaz and vice versa. And it's a win-win situation because even if, like, when I say become the right kind of person, here's what I mean. If you give yourself to your spiritual growth and say, that's going to be my fixation, not just trying to find somebody. I mean, if God wants to find somebody, that's great, but I'm not going to worry so much about finding somebody. I'm going to worry first and foremost about becoming the right kind of person, becoming the kind of person the person I'm looking for is looking for. Meaning I'm going to grow my relationship with God. I'm going to begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. I'm going to grow that relationship personally as I read the Bible, as I pray and learn how to do that. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to apply what God says in those messages and in those talks. I'm going to worship God together. I'm going to get in a group where I can grow and where we can help each other grow. I'm going to serve in our church. I'm going to serve in the community. I'm going to realize that my vocation is an opportunity also for me to express my gifting to the glory of God and to serve God's purposes. And I'm going to, I'm going to focus on serving God and doing and growing my relationship with him. And even if you don't meet somebody, you win. 
because you become the kind of person you want to be. But if you become the kind of person you want to be, you're much more likely to attract the kind of person that you want to be. And so become the person you're looking for is looking for. Ruth attracts Boaz and Boaz attracts Ruth. They're both really awesome, godly people. So what happens next in the story? Well, he's attracted to her. She's attracted to him. It leads to the first date. It's lunch. Um, there's other people at that lunch, but they're hanging out and they're talking. And, and he says, hey, yeah, come on in and let's, you know, let's hang. And, and they have this conversation. And he says, hey, I want you to keep coming back. And that's what happens. She keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, enters into the story. Because the mother-in-law can see what's going on. And she's going to help out the situation. She's going to do what mother-in-laws do. And that is interfere. I mean, excuse me, intervene. Sorry, intervene. She's, she's going to intervene. Um, because she can tell that Boaz kind of has a thing for Ruth. And that Ruth has a thing for Boaz. But it's not really going anywhere. And we learn why later. Because uh, in the story, because uh, Boaz... Um, just doesn't feel like she'd be interested in him because he's older and there's these younger people. But Naomi knows that they're not only interested in each other, but remember that um, guardian redeemer thing I talked about? She learns that this is a, he's a perfect candidate to be the guardian redeemer for Ruth. In the Old Testament, this is what guardian redeemer was. In the Old Testament teaching, the Old Testament law, one of the provisions that God had for widows is that when if you were widowed, that another person from your husband's family, a close relative, was then supposed to, this is a responsibility, was supposed to step in and, and be your guardian redeemer, which means marry you, bring you into the family, and which means you were taken care of, but also your husband's land or inheritance would continue in that family line. Now, most people blew that off in that culture because it was so disruptive, but Naomi knew that Boaz wasn't the kind of guy that would just blow out, blow off what God said to do. However, she also knew that Boaz was waiting because there were closer relatives than him who should have stepped up. And there were younger people and better looking people or whatever it was. And so he's insecure. She's insecure. So Naomi's going to get to work. She's going to do some matchmaking. Now, what you're about to read sounds really weird because it is really weird in our culture. In that culture, this was bold, but it, it wasn't, uh, it happened. This happened. This wasn't an immoral thing, but it is, it is bold. And here's what we read. Naomi goes to Ruth and says, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. Tonight, Boaz will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Uh, some of you are going to be doing that this Thanksgiving. You're going to wash. It's a good thing to do. Uh, you're, maybe you'll put on perfume. Maybe you'll get dressed up in your best clothes. I don't know. In quarantine. <laughs> Whatever, stay home. I don't know what you're going to do. Or go to play. But anyway, go do all that. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying then go and cover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now, she's from Moab. She doesn't know this stuff. She's like, 
Okay, that's pretty crazy. But if that's what you if that's how you guys roll here in Israel, well, you know, why not? I'll do it. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Some of you mother-in-laws were thinking, well, that's what that's the way it should be. Right. Are you thinking that? Evidently not. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down in the middle of the night. Something startled the man. He woke up. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Freaks out. Boaz was not the kind of party guy that's used to waking up with some girl he didn't know was in his bed in his bed. And she's right there at his feet. Now, it's dark, so she doesn't know. You know, he doesn't know who this is. And so he says. Sorry, I didn't know I had the passage. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, she knew Ruth, but remember what I asked you to when I said, hey, remember that thing about the wings of God, like you under the shelter of his wings. I just think this is a cool little detail in the passage, because when she says spread the corner of your garment over me, the word translated corner from Hebrews, the same exact word as wing. It's spread the wing of your garment over me, meaning the way God was going to provide for Ruth, she knew was for Boaz, not only for God to spread his wing, but Boaz to spread his wing over her. And when she says, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family, spread your wing over, she's, it's a marriage proposal. She's saying, I, I want you to be the guardian redeemer, not all these other people. I want you to be the guardian redeemer. I want you to marry me. Now, that was a bold move in that culture, because in that culture, girls did not make proposals to guys. In that culture, a foreigner, somebody from Moab, would, would not like say, hey, to a, an Israelite, people of God in the Old Testament, will you marry me? Not only that, a poor nobody uh, would not, you know, give a marriage proposal to a wealthy somebody. But that's what she does. This is bold because what should have happened in a normal situation is she'd be rejected. And this is a little bonus romantic principle. And that is somebody at some point, right, has got to take a risk to put your heart out there which is hard to do because you could be rejected. It, it reminds me back in uh, elementary school, the little notes. I don't know if y'all did this or not, but I remember doing this in elementary school. The do you love me in the three boxes? Yes, no, maybe. I sent out some of those notes. And in uh, no's were so terrible. Maybes were so confusing. But yeses were pretty awesome. Do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. She puts it out there. Do you love me? He could pick, he could check any box he wanted. Guess which box he picks? It's yes, yeah. He picks a big yes. An enthusiastic yes. Um, I mean, Ruth was the girl of his dreams. He just didn't dream that she would be interested in him. And he talks about that like, hey, there are younger people. There, I don't, I, yeah, but, and, uh, and so he has to work out some details because of those other people, but he says, absolutely, let's do this. You know, I'm in. And then we read in chapter four. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son and they named him Obed. There's some jokes there, but I'm going to go. I'm just going to pass by. him. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. If you keep going with the family line, you know who you get to? It's Jesus. 
Uh, this is a story how God wanted a foreigner in the line of Jesus. That's actually a big deal we'll talk about in a future week. But what happens? Two people fall in love, get married, have kids, leads all the way to Jesus. Doesn't get much better than that. It's, it's, it's like the ultimate Hallmark movie, right? I mean, it's just like everything works out. But it gets us to our second and really the last romantic principle. The romantic relationships are designed to move somewhere. Are designed to move to the ultimate commitment, marriage, where the fullness and where the fullness of romance and sexuality can be enjoyed. The romantic relationships aren't just recreational. That God designed us as romantic and sexual beings, but but romantic relationships are designed to be moving to greater and greater commitment, all the way to this God idea. It's God marriage is God's idea all the way back to the beginning of creation in Genesis. Marriage is God's idea um, for romantic relationships to eventually either either move to to say where romance and sexuality can flourish. In fact, in the Bible, and I know it sounds crazy, you know, these days, but it's God's word. It's the Bible. It's what he created us. It's what's best um, is that sexuality is reserved for marriage and it's reserved for marriage for a very important reason, because sex is a very powerful soul glue. It's not just a. You know, oh, who cares? You know, do what you want. It's actually much more profound than that. And in the context of marriage, that soul glue is part of two people becoming one in this intimate relationship called marriage and the safety of that commitment. Because marriage, a lot of people are blown off marriage, um, but marriage is God's idea. And it's a beautiful thing because at its core is a promise that creates intimacy, that creates a safe environment for all that other stuff to flourish. And that promise is not, I'm going to be with you no matter what happens, whether I want to or not. That's really not, that's true, but that's not the promise. The promise is much more profound than that. The promise is, I'm going to love you no matter what. Love is not a feeling, biblically. It's not, I'm going to be with you as long as I don't, as long as I feel like it, and I feel like I'm in love with you. People don't fall out of love, biblically, because love is a choice to put the other person first. To say, I'm going to do what is in your best interest no matter what. And even when I don't feel very lovey-dovey toward you, I'm going to love you anyway. Even when I'm hurt and angry, you know what? I'm going to do my part of working through it so we can actually get closer. Because conflict, rightly done, gets us closer. When we're going through great times, we're going to celebrate together. When we go through really difficult times, we're going to grieve together. And we're going to work it out. And no matter what, I'm always going to have your best interest at heart. It's going to be about you and your needs and your interest and what you want, not about me. And hopefully the other person is doing the same thing. And that's the kind of environment where every romantic relationship ultimately is designed to go and to flourish. And part of that marriage commitment is for this part of life to be good, to say, let's let's keep the romantic flames going and keep the romantic and sexual part of our life good. There's a whole book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, that's just about that. The beauty of romantic and sexual love in the context of marriage. You know, a lot of times people joke about marriage and say, yeah, well, once you get married, you know, there goes romance or there goes sex or whatever. It's, it's really in God's design the other way around to say, no, that's, that's where it's, all that's designed to flourish. And so this Valentine's, if you're married, act like it. You know, make this part of life good and enjoy each other and, and let each other know how you feel. 
You know, don't be like the old guy in marriage counseling that, you know, they go to marriage counseling because the wife just doesn't feel very loved. And, and the counselor said, well, why don't you look at your husband and tell him what you want to say? And said, well, you just never tell me you love me. And he said, well, 40 years ago when we got married, I told you I loved you. And I just thought if I ever changed my mind, I'd let you know. That's no good. Right. Just take this time to to let each other know how you feel and enjoy the beauty of what God uh, puts in, in marriage to enjoy. And if you're single and in a relationship with somebody, realize it's, it's designed to go somewhere. And if it's not going anywhere over time or if the person that you're connected with, you think I would never want to marry him. I would never want to marry her. Then cut bait on the relationship. It's not just a recreational thing. God designed it to be way, way more powerful than that, to lead somewhere. And if it's not leading anywhere or it's not the kind of person you want to lead somewhere, then just let it go. And if you're single and not in a relationship, remember, become the person you're looking for is looking for. Um, and fixate on that. And like I said, you can't go wrong if you do that. Because you'll become the kind of person that you want to become. Now, we're going to go to God with this in prayer in a little bit. But isn't it cool that God wants this part of life to be great? And I also want you to know as we celebrate Valentine's that whether you're connected with somebody or not, that you are deeply in love. There is somebody madly in love with you. And he happens to be the most, most significant person in the universe, being in the universe, and that's God. In fact, God uses the image of marriage to describe the way he feels about us, that we're like his bride and he's the husband and he loves us fully. He even the image of guardian redeemer that we're talking about is a picture of how God wants to relate to us, that he wants to rescue us from our plight and pull us into his family and give us everything that is his to share. That's God. You, there's never been a moment in your life that you haven't been deeply and supremely loved by the most significant being in the universe. And yet, you can say yes to that love or you can reject it. Going back to the little note, do you love me? God puts himself in that vulnerable position to say, I love you, I want a relationship with you, but you can reject me. Do you love me? Yes, no, or maybe. And some of you... I know right now, or maybe you're like, I'm just trying to figure out this whole God, Bible, Jesus thing out. That's okay. When we go to God in prayer, I want you to say, God, you know, as as I'm in this maybe relationship with you, would you, if you're real and all that, would you just keep pulling me closer? But for some of you, this may be your opportunity to say yes. God, I, I want a relationship with you. I mean, you made that possible by sending Jesus, your son, into this world to die on the cross for the penalty of my sin, to be raised from the dead so that I could be forgiven. You want to come into my life and know me and change me. And I say, yes. You don't hate me. You love me. I'm in. Thank you. I don't deserve you. But for some reason, you just think I'm awesome. And you want to know me and change my life. And I'm in. And that's beginning a relationship with God, just checking the yes box. So wherever we're coming with this, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, first of all, I thank you for your incredible love for us. It really makes no sense. 
It's not logical that you would love us. But you do. And the whole story of the Bible is about that. And Father, would you help us believe it? Just like Paul prayed one time in the New Testament, that somehow you would open our eyes just to begin to get how deeply and widely we're loved. Because it is so hard to get. And Father, for some people, this may be their time to check the yes box with you to say, yes, I, God, I want a relationship with you. I want you to come into my life. I want to know you. I want you to change me. I want you to, you want to use me in, in this world and, and you, want to, you want me to be with you forever? God, that's crazy, but I say, yes, I'm in. And for us as human beings relating to each other this Valentine's weekend, God, would you, would you help us get this part of life right? Because you really do want this part to be good. And for those who are single, um, well, I know, I know there are a lot of people who are single who really aren't interested in anybody else, like Paul, like Jesus. I mean, that's great. And I pray that you would just keep them focused on you and help them continue to grow and become the person you're calling them to be. For those who are looking for somebody, God, I pray that you would help them first become the pers- kind of person they're looking for is looking for. And God, I pray for those who are married. And I know some right now, romance is the last thing they have on their mind. Uh, because there's some conflict, there's some issue, it's really hard. And I pray for those this Valentine's who are in the really hard period of a marriage. God, that you would help them stay in it and work through what they need to work through uh, to get to what is on the other side. And for those who are not in a hard situation, but are in in a better phase of marriage, Father, easier phase of marriage, God, would you just help make this weekend special? We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.